we should not be able to turn our heads in San Diego and not see rooftop or parking lot solar. More than 50 U.S. cities have made commitments to reach 100% renewable electricity, many inspired by Sierra Club's Ready for 100 campaign and the cost-effectiveness of solar and wind power. But how do communities build the political will to adopt such goals, and how do they plan to meet them? Nicole Kapritz is the executive director of the Climate Action Campaign and former staffer to the San Diego mayor during the creation of the city's Climate Action Plan. Kapritz recently spoke with me about the city's adoption of a 100% renewable electricity goal and the struggle against the incumbent electric utility for control of the journey toward that goal. I'm John Farrell, Director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is Local Energy Rules, a podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. So I wanted to start off by asking you, what's the main motivation behind the City of San Diego's commitment to 100% renewable energy by 2035? The 100% commitment came as part of a longer process when we were developing our climate action plan. So I was actually inside working in the mayor's office during the development of this plan, and we were legally obligated to craft a plan that would cut our carbon emissions in half. Because as you probably know, California has one of the most ambitious climate targets in the nation. And so we were responsible for doing our part to help the state reach its goal. So when we were looking at what it would take to actually reduce our carbon footprint so significantly, it became pretty clear just through a numbers game that we had to completely remove um, greenhouse gas emissions from our electricity. And so that was really the impetus for exploring 100% clean electricity as a target. So there are now something like 50 other U.S. cities and some more internationally that have made a similar commitment. But uh, for many of them, it's, it's not anything more so far than just a pledge. How can a city like San Diego change its energy mix? And, you know, is there some sort of plan with like mile markers for how to get there? Yeah, so we are on the hook legally as a city. I think that does separate us from a lot of the other pledges that have been made across the country, which we support, and I support a thousand percent. I mean, I'm happy to see it, and it builds momentum, and it really, I think, moves the needle and pushes entrepreneurs and innovators to figure out how we're going to get there. But we are, you know, on the record as saying that we made this promise and we can be held accountable as a city if we don't reach that target. And as a result, we do have a very specific and defined roadmap to reaching that 100% target by 2035. So definitely it was an interesting process. I left the mayor's office. There was, a, there was a new administration that came in, a Republican administration that had the opportunity to water down the climate plan that uh, the administration I was a part of created. And so frankly, our utility, our monopoly utility <laughs> made a pretty a hard sell to our new mayor that we should remove that target, that 100%, that it was technically impossible, that it, you know, that they were, uh, you know, going to do the best they could. And, you know, we should, the city should just sort of back away. And what we had put into the climate plan was this community choice energy program model, which has been a tried and true model Um, embraced by the state of California to allow local governments to take control over the procurement, the purchase of electricity for all their residents and businesses. 
maybe I'll just take a quick step back and for folks who aren't familiar with it, just emphasize that, you know, there's sort of two parts to the utility system. One is the administrative part, which sort of decides like here, you know, this power is coming from these power plants and it's coming to folks, uh, you know, deciding which power plants you're going to buy power from and how it's going to get there. And then the other one is actually the hardware, the poles and the wires. So there's the software and then there's the hardware. And with community choice energy, the city gets to do the software side of things, but the utility still manages the hardware and the poles and the wires. But as you know, you know, you have to go through a study process and it has to be voted on and supported by the um, elected officials. So we put it in the plan, but obviously when this new Republican administration came in, we didn't know, one, if the 100% goal was going to remain in that plan, given the lobbying by the utility, and number two, whether the mayor would allow the community choice program model. But at the end of the day, he he took about a year to thoroughly vet the, the plan. He knew it was groundbreaking. He knew it was the most ambitious climate plan in the nation, especially since it had that legally binding component. And he made the decision to move ahead to sort of have San Diego put, plant that flag in the ground. The one thing the utility did get, however, was a caveat that said the city would pursue community choice energy or another program. That was language they successfully lobbied to insert into the plan. And so and that is sort of from our perspective, from the outside nonprofit uh, perspective, sort of haunted us because while Again, many cities, like over 100 cities in California, I think 13 or 14 counties, have pursued successfully and implemented community choice energies. Um, we still have a utility who is really pursuing this or other program model, which is them, right? So that we just keep the monopoly. So there's this huge campaign going on. There's a big effort. But at the end of the day, um, the mayor has to make that call and the council has to take that vote on what our pathway is. And we are bound to the, um, those commitments. And so the marker in the climate plan is this year that we make this decision about the pathway to 100% this year. When you were talking about the city setting this target, the utility was saying essentially, we can't actually do this. So are they now on board saying actually we can, but it, you just need it to be us? And <laughs> and what other role are they playing in in the effort to get to 100%? Are they, are they helping in any way or are they generally speaking, as I've heard so far, in the opposition? Yeah, I mean, this is where they speak out of both sides of their mouth and you never really know what their true position is. Seems like they judge the political wins and then and adjust accordingly. The official letter on the record from our utility when the climate plan was adopted is that they opposed the 100% clean energy target and their position was that it's technically not feasible, that we have to have natural gas, point of fact, and they're the experts and you know we should have just, we should listen to them. And, that, and so obviously, as you know, the mayor said, no, I don't, you know, I've talked to other experts and I think we can get there. So that's their official position on the record. But then as they sort of, you know, uh, put their finger in the air and tested the political wins, it seemed like, hey, we're, we're not winning that fight. They have put forward a specific, I shouldn't say specific, they've put forward a concept paper about how they would get the city to 100% by 2035. But of course, it has no legal, because the, the city of San Diego has no control or jurisdiction over our utility. They are completely regulated by the state. So they say on paper, like, hey, trust us, we'll get you there. If we don't get you there, hmm. and obviously we're taking advantage of that as outside advocates, like we're saying to the city, look, the only pathway to 100% to ensure we can fulfill the commitment and promise to San Diego families is through community choice. So my question, though, is um, I'm thinking about 
uh, Marin Clean Energy, which was the first uh, community choice program to launch in California. And they had like a 10-year fight with Pacific Gas and Electric, the monopoly utility in their part of California. And that utility spent you know, millions of dollars uh, lobbying and on a ballot initiative to try to stop them. What has uh, San Diego Gas and Electric done other than, you know, make pretty flyers and make other promises. Are there other ways in which they are trying to make it more difficult for the city to move ahead with its own uh, community choice energy program? Unfortunately, yes. So after the fight in Northern California between Marin and their utility, Pacific Gas and Electric, the state actually passed a law that limited the ability of the regulated utilities to lobby against community choice because it was just so lopsided and it was just such a, a street fight and you know it just it it sort of created bad blood in every direction and there's just a real fundamental question about whether ratepayer dollars should be used to lobby against a benefit for ratepayers right i mean like there was just a, just a lot of uh concerns about how the utility spent arm you know ratepayer dollars and so the state passed legislation and said hey utilities you you know you can't do that anymore however they put a loophole in that legislation that said if the utility wants to use shareholder dollars, right, they can lobby against community choice. So that's what's happened in San Diego. They are the first utility that has taken advantage of this loophole. And so their parent company, it's called Sempra uh, Utilities, has actually created a separate independent marketing district that is funded by shareholder dollars to spend unlimited amounts of money to say whatever they want to say. I mean, there's just no oversight or regulation over this uh, marketing arm to fight us. And so, yes, they are spending, I mean, we don't know, obviously we don't have access to how much money they're spending, but they have a team of lobbyists. They have a team of, you know, internal engineers and, you know, they're throwing money at um, in campaigns. And so, yeah, we're pretty much embroiled in the same fight that Marin was in with Pacific Gas and Electric. So just out of curiosity, you know, if, if you pay an electric bill in San Diego and let's just say it's $100, um, when when that $100, when you write that check or, you know, when it's withdrawn to pay the company, is it clear how much of that is for shareholders and how much for ratepayers, or does it all kind of come from the same place? I honestly don't know, but I, I have a guess it's it's some jumbled mess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly, I mean, we as ratepayers, I mean, we don't really even understand the rate structure right? Or how the, that is created. And of course, that's one of the reasons why we're so passionate about pursuing community choice, not just to reach the 100% clean energy target, but like, let's have a transparent public process. So we can, you know, not only have a local accountability, but we can decide rates and have local residents participate in that process. Because uh, San Diego was really far away from our regulatory agency, which is in San Francisco. Like that's an that's an eight hour car ride, you know, so that we don't go up there. We don't have any voice or any role in how rates are set. And in fact, San Diego Gas and Electric, and this is sort of mind boggling because we're a temperate climate with mostly sunny days, has the highest electricity rates in California and some I think like top five electricity rates in the nation. That's crazy. But part of it is because this monopoly model, right? We just, we don't participate in the rate hearings. Um, we have no idea how they're calculating these rates. They're, we know they're making a ton of money. Obviously, they're using some of that money now against us. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan and we could use your help for just two minutes. 
As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. Speaking of this process that you're going through, um, you know, and and obviously this is a struggle right now with the utility. What what's the next step? Like you've you've uh, you know, the city has made this commitment; it's a legally binding one. Um, it's also studied at this point um, the pro, you know the feasibility of setting up a community choice energy program. Uh, what's the next step for the city in, in moving forward with this if it chooses to do so? Yeah, so like I mentioned earlier. The mayor has committed and he said and he said in the state of the city, like we're gonna have a vote this year, city council, about which pathway to take, either stay with a monopoly or pursue community choice. So we are sort of at the tail end of the uh, evaluation process in terms of fact gathering. The feasibility study was super positive in terms of um, offering lower rates to all customer classes and uh, allowing the city in its collection of revenue to have millions of dollars to reinvest back into the community. There has to be a nexus with the the funding that they're collecting. So it would be really, and then what other cities have done, they reinvest like to offer more credit back to rooftop solar owners to offer incentives for electric vehicles or for homeowners to upgrade their homes and buildings to be more energy efficient, right? Something brand new. And then of course, um, the ability for families to actually have choice. Because again, another key um, design element of community choice program is that if people love their utility, right? If people think sdg e is the cat's meow, you can stay with sdg e Like that's okay. Like it's a it's a genuine choice. And I think people don't really, you know, the utility doesn't like to mention that, that, you know, it's people can choose to opt out. Um, but, you know, what the, we've seen statewide is that people don't. Like it's like, wait, it's lower cost and we get, we accelerate clean electricity. We create local jobs. You know, we get to design what we want our energy future to look like. Like, you know, we want microgrids. We want decentralized small-scale power. We want to make sure that people in our community are hired to do these jobs. And so the city is doing the final business plan. So it'll be like, okay, this is exactly what this new program will look like. This nonprofit um, agency, how it would be designed, how to be set up, who are the decision makers, what exactly would be our portfolio of electricity that we're offering at what costs. Um, that's the vote that should happen this year that would let everybody know this is the pathway we're choosing. So, so one thing that's sort of hard to get over an audio interview is a picture. So you're in San Diego, and I'm sure that if people take a minute and think in their mind's eye of what they think of when they think of Southern California, they're going to think of a lot of sunshine. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I, I I would think that this the city probably has an enormous solar resource, 
uh, in terms of how much of its energy could come from sunshine falling on rooftops and parking lots and stuff in the San Diego area. How much, how much did that local solar resource play a role in this whole process of thinking about renewable energy and, and that pledge? And then also in terms of uh, the city wanting to figure out how to capture more of that uh, through community choice. We should not be able to turn our heads in San Diego and not see rooftop or parking lot solar. Bottom line. Uh, the way you kind of see if uh, folks have been to Hawaii, like if you go to Honolulu, like you you turn your head and you see rooftop solar everywhere just because the, the value proposition has always been so strong there. They're sort of ahead of all of us because their power has been so expensive. But we should be the same way here in San Diego. And that's the vision that many of us have. Of course, the utility has kind of a competing vision, right? They sort of still prefer the large scale solar and the large transmission lines, um, sort of just like, you know, regardless of whether it's clean electricity or natural gas electricity, you know, that's centralized and shipped in, that's still that that model they prefer. That's probably the model they make the most money off of. But from the, from the community's perspective, like we wanna be energy independent, we wanna be energy resilient, Right, we we want to be energy secure and safe, and that clearly the 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 pathway for that is and taking advantage of this natural sun resource that we have is small scale, um, decentralized uh, rooftop parking lot solar. The the vision that you're describing, and you know having community solar, and really sort of uh, sort of flipping the script on you know, our, our energy production and allowing consumers, right, to kind of be in control and in charge, which is just kind of a mind shift for folks. So it takes time in and of itself for people to believe that, but it is more, I mean, we, I will say though, I, sh I should acknowledge that in San Diego, we're like number one for solar installations per capita, or I, I don't know the exact technicality on that. Hawaii might be a little bit ahead of us, but we have a lot of rooftop solar, but we have unlimited potential for even more. And so, yes, from from the community's perspective, from the advocates perspective, that's our vision. And we want to empower residents. Right. So they're in control of what their energy future um, looks like. And that community choice model is the only way we really have an opportunity to make that vision a reality. This is a good way to segue into my last question, which is there are something like, you know, 50 other cities in the United States that have made. 100% pledges. And as you mentioned earlier, it doesn't necessarily have that same legally binding requirement that you have from the state of California. But what advice would you give either to activists, uh, you know, outside the city government or to elected officials in those cities about how they can achieve their goal of 100% renewable? Yeah, I mean, so I've been doing this um, policy work around solar, both inside government and out for a long time. So I was around when the state of California actually created the rooftop solar market through, um, it, was gov it was Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, but he created the Million Solar Roof Program that provided incentives and uh, rebates to jumpstart the rooftop solar industry. So that was pivotal, I have to say. I mean, so I am, I, you know, first to disclose, I am unfamiliar if other states have sort of replicated that. But I, I do think you need some kind of, you know, pu public policy is essential to creating these markets. And it's about continuing to push the envelope about what's possible. And, and um, from our perspective, you know, yes, you need some state um, legislation. That's at least that's the way that's the formula that's worked in California. So I do think there's a role for the state, but I also think cities have a lot of power and opportunity as well. I know that, you know, it's tricky with the utilities and, you know, how they're regulated and what involvement there is with the state, but 
it's, you know, we do community presentations all the time, and I'm pretty sure other advocates would find the campaign around clean energy is a winner. Regardless, it's not as polarizing, and it seems to be embraced by in a bipartisan way for the most part. And so, yeah, you know, my organization is happy to talk through some ideas around that because, you know, I think there's different, different um different ways to move the market and create the market and create a, cause you definitely need not only public policy, but you need your community really excited. Overall, I just want to encourage people that I think people would find the community really receptive to the idea of totally getting off of dirty fuels. I think people are seeing that that is the wave of the future and that people really want to ride that train. Nicole, thanks so much for not only your inspirational work in San Diego, but uh, for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is John Farrell, director of ILSR's Energy Democracy Initiative. I was speaking with Nicole Capritz, executive director of the Climate Action Campaign, about the progress of San Diego toward its 100% renewable electricity goal and the tension between the city's interests and the incumbent monopoly electric utility. For more information on how cities can accelerate local energy progress, check out ILSR's Interactive Community Power Toolkit, which is available at ILSR.org. While you're at our website, you can find more than 50 past episodes of the Local Energy Rules podcast. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.